G'day and welcome to the Bernie Gannon Show and thank you for your company. Cast your mind back a few months, not all the way back to when we were free, just back to when it started to become crystal clear that we live in a nation of double standards and hypocrisy. That would be June when tens of thousands marched through the streets to protest against police brutality despite the fact that protests were illegal and we were supposedly in the middle of a pandemic. Good evening. More than 10,000 people have marched through Melbourne CBD, rallying in a peaceful show of solidarity for the Black Lives Matter movement. Despite pleas to stay home, protesters vented their anger at police, but no arrests were made. So it seems fair to say that police brutality is seemingly something that Australians are concerned about, at least for the people who took time out of their busy lives to protest on that day. In fact, these people wanted to show that they were so concerned about police brutality that they marched en masse, shoulder to shoulder without any social distancing, when doing so was apparently a grave danger to their health and well-being. The demonstrators had been threatened with fines and arrests, all amid the risk of coronavirus. I'm willing to risk my health so that another black person isn't killed in custody. What a brave woman. Give that lady a medal. As you can see, these protesters literally put their very lives on the line, risked it all just to make a point. And their point was that police brutality was bad. So bad that they turned out in their droves because of police brutality. Not here, but in America. These people wanted to vent their anger at something that happened on the other side of the world. You really do have to admire that. These protesters had such strong principles that they somehow found the will to stop binging Netflix, scrawl an expletive or two on a homemade sign and face down overpairing state governments and their jackboot police forces who were depriving them of their democratic rights just so that they could march in solidarity with similar freedom fighters from somewhere about as far away from Australia as you can possibly get. And they did all of this at a time when just going outside could see them literally contract a highly contagious disease so deadly that there was even a strong chance they would not make it to the end of the protest alive. But, as it turns out, none of this was true. It was all a charade. There was literally no risk of these protesters being fined or arrested. This protest was okay. It was on the right side of woke. And none of the protesters were pregnant mothers commenting on Facebook pages against Dan Andrews. And there was no risk of protesters at the Black Lives Matter much dying either. I'm sure if a Black Lives Matter protester had succumbed to COVID-19, caught at this protest, there'd have been a national day of mourning by now and a state funeral for all the bigwigs to attend. Alas for the bigwigs who love preening at such events, it just hasn't happened. As each day goes by, it seems more and more obvious that if you are fit enough to chant no justice, no peace down a city street, that you are rather unlikely to even know that you have COVID-19. But all of this hypocrisy and double standards is just by the by. And focusing it, focusing on it, I guess, misses the real point. And that is that these protesters were against police brutality. Except it turns out that that isn't true either. Because when there was an incident of actual police brutality right here in Australia, in fact, right in Melbourne where the largest demonstration against police brutality took place, there has been total silence. There has not even been a shrug of the shoulders. That's how little the protest movement 
really cares about police brutality. It makes you wonder if any of those people who marched down Melbourne streets back in June can even remember the name of the American man who died while being arrested by the police. It was George Floyd, by the way. Last Sunday in Melbourne, Timothy Atkins was rammed by a police car and then, while he was on the ground, his head was violently kicked or stomped by a police officer. Now that video is hard to watch, it is sickening. Timothy Atkins could easily have been killed. He did end up in an induced coma in hospital. There is a lot happening in and around this incident and most of it shows just how badly our society is doing it. None of it says anything good about where we are headed. There are three points we should take from this. Firstly, our attitudes to the police are being shaped in all the wrong ways. There is a concerted effort across the Western world, but particularly in America, to make us think that police are inherently evil. This is what the Black Lives Matter movement is all about. It is not about police brutality. It is about revolutionising the police and what they are used for. And I'll get to this a little further in this presentation, but it has very dangerous consequences for police and law and order. We have been taught that the police, any police, are racist a manifestation of the patriarchy. They are sexist, colonialist oppressors. The police should be defunded. They should be abolished, or at the very least, watered down with weekly compulsory diversity training, gender and racial quotas, and LGBT liaison officers. However, the people who push these ideas don't really want to get rid of law enforcement. They believe in coercive power, and they will exercise it brutally and efficiently if they ever get their way. Instead, they want a law enforcement that they can control. That's what this is all about. Power. This new law enforcement won't solve crimes that we think are important, crimes like murder and rape and theft. Instead, it will focus on thought crimes. In a nutshell, imagine the Human Rights Commission with guns. That is what they are trying to create by revolutionising police. We know what it looks like. We've seen it before. Nazi Germany the Soviet Union, ISIS. It's going on in communist China today. This idea never dies because some people believe that they are the sole arbiters of morality, that they can create utopia based on their own subjective worldview, and they intend to use force to do it. Indeed, they think it is good to use force to do this. At the end of the day, the police in these types of societies do not exist for the common good. They exist to serve the whims of those in power. In these societies, murder is wrong because it is deemed illegal. It is not illegal because it is wrong. There is a big difference between those two ideas. In the former, those in charge can decide that murder is sometimes legal and then people die. The truth, and we should never forget this, is that there is a natural law, a natural order that exists regardless of what a dictator or even a democratic parliament decides. A rightly ordered society accepts this, and rational laws do not violate this natural order. Police in such societies are necessary, and they serve a great good. In a rightly ordered society, we should respect police officers for their courage, sacrifice, and devotion to duty. The average police officer, even in places like Victoria, 
is doing are good and trying to do it to the best of their ability in what are now very difficult circumstances. We should all thank them for this and we should all hope that they succeed. Secondly, public outrage when police do cross the line is no longer based on the fact that they have crossed the line. Instead, it is based on who the victim is. It means that the protests we do see against police brutality are not actually about defending some high moral principle. Instead, they are purely political and they brazenly use horrendous incidents for a collateral purpose. And that means that those organising these protests uh, see incidents like the George Floyd murder as something good, something to be used, in fact, something to be hoped for. That is why if the victim is a black man in America with a string of offences, there will be global protests. But if the victim is a white person suffering a mental illness in Australia, then there'll be no protests at all. No media outrage, no hectoring and lecturing activists. These protest leaders might claim that they are against police brutality, but instead the truth is that they want further police brutality because it furthers their own political interests and goals. It is despicable. This ties closely with the first point. It is proof that this attempt to revolutionise policing is not about achieving some objective good. Instead, it is all about leveraging certain incidents, some problems, for select groups to seize control of society. The truth is that when officers abuse their powers, and that certainly seems to be the case both with George Floyd in America and Timothy Atkins in Melbourne last week, those officers should be held accountable, but in a just way. On this front, at least, that process seems to be occurring. The officers in America are being tried for murder of George Floyd, and the officer in Melbourne has been suspended pending review of the incident and may face criminal charges. That is good. Thirdly, why was Timothy Atkins on that Melbourne street disrupting traffic and risking harm to himself and others? It was a dangerous situation. Something did need to be done by the police to rectify it. But did this incident happen by chance? Did it occur in a vacuum? Well, the answer to that is most emphatically no. Timothy Atkins had spent more than 24 hours in a hospital seeking treatment for his bipolar, which he did not end up getting before he decided to block traffic and with it was eventually rammed by a police car. He was distressed and unwell. It seems almost certain that his condition was exacerbated by the Cronian coronavirus lockdowns in Victoria. His father was prevented by these lockdowns from helping his son the day before all of this unfolded. Glenn says his son, who runs a successful business and just finished building his dream home, suffers from bipolar disorder but hadn't had an episode in nine years. He'd admitted himself on Saturday, but he was turned away from one hospital and left waiting in the emergency ward of another. I spoke to him Saturday, he was crying, he wanted me to come in. I can't. It was the COVID thing. And, you know, you hear your son crying on the phone. It's not very nice. And then you see what the police did to him. That video is hard to watch. You feel for Glenn's father. He's watched his son deteriorate as society has been locked down. And then, at the moment of crisis, he's had to stand by it helplessly. He would have been committing a crime if he visited his son when he needed it before this occurred. The police officer who stomped on Timothy Atkins' head did the wrong thing. But he is not responsible for this situation occurring in the first place. The truth is that this responsibility lies with Daniel Andrews, who shut society down, kept families apart, and then oversaw a medical system that could not help Timothy Atkins when he needed it. Worse, it is Daniel Andrews who has politicised the Victorian police 
and created the conditions that resulted in the brutal response meted out to Timothy Atkins. And this politicisation occurred long before COVID hit. Daniel Andrews oversaw Victorian police as it turned a blind eye to Labor's rorting of almost $400,000 of public money for the 2015 election campaign. Daniel Andrews happily watched as the Victorian police decided to open a targeted and political investigation to get Cardinal Pell before there was even a complaint against him. And now Daniel Andrews has imposed draconian laws, laws that simply cannot be followed and that make virtually every Victorian a COVID criminal, and then put the Victorian police into the difficult position of enforcing them. And to compound this problem, Daniel Andrews has decided that these laws can be ignored for certain people at certain times for political purposes. If the right people want to protest, Daniel Andrews approves of this, regardless of what the letter of his law allows. In such an environment, one can only wonder why we have not seen more brutality from the Victorian police. What we are watching live and in real time is nothing less than a massive, statewide replication of the infamous Stanford experiments. August 14, 1971, Palo Alto, California. 12 young men are rounded up from their homes by police, placed under arrest, and brought to a makeshift prison in the basement of Stanford University. It all begins as a study on the psychology of prison life, led by Stanford psychology professor, Dr. Philip Zimbardo. 24 volunteers, 12 guards, and 12 prisoners have agreed to spend the next two weeks recreating life in a correctional facility. The prisoners are booked and stripped nude. They're no longer individuals, forced to wear smocks, stocking caps and shackles, identified only by their prisoner numbers. It evolves into a confrontation. The guard showing the prisoners who's boy. The guards quickly adapt to their new profession. Given anonymity by their mirrored sunglasses, some of them start to control the meager food rations, restrict prisoners' bathroom use, and as tensions rise, so do their cruel methods. Within just six days of the planned two-week study, conditions are so bad that the entire operation is shut down. Victorian police have been turned into prison guards and everyone else in society is the prisoner. Their homes have become the prison and Daniel Andrews says no one can get out until he decides. The resulting increase in police brutality, and we've seen it at the anti-lockdown protests in the past couple of weeks too, is not surprising at all. We've seen this movie before. Dan Andrews is responsible for it. But it won't be Dan Andrews who takes the blame when things go wrong. Yes, the officer at the centre of this incident should be held to account for his actions. But are they really worse than what Dan Andrews has done? After all, Dictator Dan designed this system that was always going to produce this moment. In many ways, that is far worse. Yet Dictator Dan will not face any criminal charges at all. Another way the hypocrisy of our times has manifested itself during these COVID lockdowns is the way different religious beliefs have been treated. 
We are told that we live in a society that not only protects religion, but that protects all religions equally. But that is a lie. Our society is overtly hostile to true religion, and it protects false religion. The true religion was taught by Jesus Christ, who showed his divine credentials when he rose from the dead. Every single one of his 12 disciples accepted that he did so. One killed himself after betraying Christ. The others chose to die horrible, horrible deaths rather than tell the world what it wanted to hear, that this was all made up. I challenge anyone to find 12 conspiratorial liars who would rather die to protect their fraud than admit the truth. Liars are motivated by fear or self-interest, but the prospect of death always tends to trump those two motivations. Now, the state of New South Wales does not care about any of this. The Gallipoli Mosque was granted a COVID exemption to hold more than 100 people for Islamic services in July. Marking an annual tradition, but under very different circumstances. For the first time, there was a queue to get into Auburn Gallipoli Mosque for the Eid al-Adha sermon. Normally it would have been inside already. <laughs> Much easier just sitting down. Now, yeah, we have to wait outside a bit. Just hold the line for a sec. Around 40 volunteers and New South Wales health officials were on hand to make sure everything was COVID safe. Please show us well, your mask Masks were mandatory as well as signing in and a temperature check. Beautiful. I believe that they're doing their job very well and they're keeping the distance. Up to 400 people were allowed on the grounds of the mosque after the New South Wales Health Minister granted it a temporary exemption from the 100-person limit for religious services. However, the disdain health bureaucrats in New South Wales openly have towards Christianity is currently on display. It has now been revealed that requests for St Mary's Cathedral to hold 300 people, and this massive building could hold far more, even if they were spaced out to one person per four square metres, have been rejected on numerous occasions. This is a blatant hypocrisy and double standard, and led Miranda Devine to ask in the Daily Telegraph if New South Wales government believes that Catholics are more contagious than Muslims? It is a good question. Just so you do know, the New South Wales government requirements allow sex on premises venues to have one person for every four square metres of space. So apparently, it seems that the New South Wales government also believes that brothels are far safer than Sunday Mass. The New South Wales Chief Health Officer says that granting a specific exemption to St Mary's Cathedral would create a precedent that could lead to a widespread relaxation of social distancing. Apparently, the exemption given to Gallipoli Mosque for some unknown and unstated reason does not create this same perception. These types of decisions are clearly arbitrary and even just plain stupid. If COVID really is as bad as the government wants us to believe, then it should act consistently. But as each day goes by, it becomes more obvious that COVID is not dangerous but those using it to pursue their own biases are. Any society that allows the mosques to open while keeping cathedrals shut will soon have far more to worry about than COVID-19. In May, the regional Queensland town of Blackwater was shut down for days and Australians were bombarded with scaremongering news stories about Australia's youngest COVID-19 fatality. It turns out now that not only were those stories wrong, Blackwater man Nathan Turner did not in fact die at the age of 30 from COVID, but from other issues. But it also turns out that Queensland health officials also knew that Nathan Turner had not died of COVID-19 three days before they admitted this fact in public. In the process, a town was turned upside down. 
a grieving family was hurt and irrational fear was allowed to be peddled throughout society. They knew and said nothing. When a Blackwater man tested positive to COVID-19, a town and state was thrown into panic. Tonight, we can reveal damning secret emails showing Queensland's most senior health bosses knew of a series of negative test results, but didn't tell Queenslanders for several days. For seven long days, Blackwater was in a COVID panic. Health chiefs could have halved that if they shared what they knew. Still still haunts us. Lorraine Devon locked down the mother of Nathan Turner's fiance. 30-year-old Mr Turner's sudden death wrongly declared the country's youngest coronavirus fatality. We were in isolation for a week. A bit devastated about it, we were. Tonight, these emails we've obtained will show it didn't need to be that way. In them is irrefutable evidence. Top health officials knew about Mr Turner's negative results days before they told the town and let the family out of isolation. Wednesday, May 27. Swabs from Mr Turner returning a positive and second inconclusive COVID-19 result. Caution paramount, mass testing triggered. And today, this declaration from the Health Minister. I was uh, very honest with the information that was to hand with us each and every day. These documents prove different. On Thursday night, this email from the lab to Queensland Health hierarchy, including the now Deputy Chief Health Officer, Sonia Bennett. Negative results from retested samples. Still, the next day, Friday, the Health Minister shamed the suspected source, a Rockhampton nurse who drove to Blackwater while infectious. It's incredibly disappointing that someone would ever lie to our public health officials. Lives are literally at risk. What we had to endure after those, you know, after they'd come out with the rumours and innuendos and that. By Friday night, more negative results, including a serology test. That information sent to the Chief Health Officer, Jeanette Young, and now Deputy, Sonia Bennett. But... Over the weekend, they told the town nothing. It wasn't until Monday morning Ms Bennett sent this. Hi team, I understand the serology on the Blackwater case was negative. Were we aware? Then, Monday night, the coroner bluntly summed it up in his autopsy report to Dr Young. Extensive and more specialised testing before autopsy have all returned a repeated negative result. As a result, cause of death is confirmed as not being related to the COVID-19 virus. Queensland Health spinning it that night in this statement to the rest of us. The coroner tonight advised that further tests have returned negative. In reality, they had them already on Friday, but left a town living in fear and a grieving family in isolation for another 72 hours. At the time, the death of Nathan Turner was being treated as an extremely dangerous and unknown source of COVID infection in Australia. It was an emergency situation and no stone was being left unturned, we were told, to find out how Mr Turner contracted COVID and to determine if it had spread to others in the community. You would think in these circumstances that Queensland health officials would have been paying very close attention to the lab results, but it was the weekend. In fact... That weekend also looked like it needed an early Friday knockoff. So those reports at best went ignored during this time of panic and emergency while the Chief Health Officer did whatever she does on the weekends, while her minions and plebs in regional Queensland were caught up in the panic of her draconian lockdowns. That's the best reading of this situation. At worst, 
Jeanette Young knew Nathan Turner did not die of COVID and did nothing anyway. In this case, it would seem that the Chief Health Officer was happy with the panic. It suited her. One can only wonder why. Is the anti-discrimination industry purely political or does it actually serve and protect the innate needs and desires of mankind? In other words, is this industry about power or does it, subs does it serve some good for society? Well, any logical person would know instinctively that the anti-discrimination industry is entirely political and it exists only to further the interests of those who believe that the coercive power of the state should be used to force people to think all sorts of crazy and radical lunacy. Only an entirely political industry with no interest in reality would devote so much time and effort to policing those who refuse to believe that a man can magically become a woman. During the week, former Freedom Commissioner Tim Wilson let the cat out of the bag on Palo Talk Live, one of the weekly shows presented on The Good Source. You should definitely watch this show each Tuesday night. Tim Wilson told Palo Talk that the human rights industry was all about politics. Have a listen. I, I used to have these people say to me all the time, human rights shouldn't be political. And I would say, well, hang on, this doesn't make any sense. They're political ideas about political values, about political concepts implemented through political instruments, by, um, advocated by political leaders, etc., etc. Which part of that isn't political? You just yep. think they shouldn't be political because you think yep. that wins the argument. It's a lot of rubbish. Yep. Deeply political. Now, that really is a remarkable admission from a person who is embedded at the very heart of Australia's human rights industry. The very state and Commonwealth human rights bodies are entirely political, according to Tim Wilson. The whole construct is political, and its object is to promote the political goals of those within this industry. As I said, that should be obvious to any person who has paid even the smallest amount of attention to what the anti-discrimination does. But, unfortunately... Most people don't. They still believe that the Australian Human Rights Commission or the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board is staffed by people who toil away night and day for an objective goal of furthering humanity's happiness. But now that Tim Wilson has lifted the lid, we know from an insider that this is not the case at all. They don't toil away for your happiness. They toil away, paid by you, by the way, to further their own political goals and to impose them on society. And remember, the anti-discrimination industry has the power to drag you before a tribunal to answer for your beliefs. Specifically, that would be your political beliefs that the people in this industry don't like. It is a political police force. That's what the anti-discrimination industry is. That's what it does. And you don't have to take my word for it anymore. Take it from Tim Wilson too. It has been another week of violence in the United States. Two police officers were brutally shot in the head in Los Angeles while sitting in their police car outside a train station. It was meant to be an execution. Somehow, and it is a miracle, both those officers survived even though they were both shot in the head. This has occurred after months of demonization of the police by the Black Lives Matter movement and now activists involved with this movement are openly cheering this brazen and evil attempted assassination. This is Kevin Wharton Price. He's a Black Lives Matter activist. He's also a cultural consultant for the Los Angeles mayor. This is how he reacted to this attempted murder. I just want to inform everybody that two sheriff deputies 
we're sitting at the Compton Metro Station, and uh, an unknown assailant walked up and busted a cap on both of them, shot him in the head, all right? So, you know, I mean, and he got away, all right? They have no suspect, no identity, no nothing, you know? So, I mean, what are we supposed to do, y'all? We're supposed to celebrate today because the oppressor has been slain. The oppressor has been slain, he says. We are supposed to celebrate that, according to Kevin Price. Those words are chilling. They indicate a truly sickened mind. It is hard to imagine how anyone can say this, but it was said, and it was said by someone who was on the right side of woke. So woke that they worked for the Los Angeles mayor to help build the city's culture. It shows you how being woke is definitely no indicator of morality or goodness. Instead, it demonstrates that woke world is entirely bereft of morality and goodness. But Kevin Price called on people to celebrate, and celebrate they did by protesting outside the hospital where those two police officers were being treated. Watch. I hope they die, they heckled. And then the brave man laughed. But this is no laughing matter. The chaos in American cities, stoked by the Democrats and their woke militias, is now so great that hospitals are protest sites where people congregate to celebrate gunned down police officers. If the Democrats win, politicians who have openly coveted the votes of these people will be in charge of the most important nation on earth. We can only hope that that does not happen. Australia cannot afford for that to happen. And if the Democrats lose, these militias will be truly unleashed. Whatever violence we've seen this year will be completely overshadowed by what's to come. This is the Democrats' central campaign strategy. Their plan is to gain power by threatening Americans with more violence if they are not elected. It is an election campaign of fear and intimidation. It is a sad indictment on the Democrats who are bringing America to its knees. If they do get their way, it won't just be physical violence we face either. There will be mental violence as well. Facebook decided during the week that you are not allowed to see this ad. All female athletes want is a fair shot at competition, at a scholarship, at a title, at victory. But what if that shot was taken away by a competitor who claims to be a girl but was born a boy? Senator Gary Peters and Joe Biden support legislation that would destroy girls' sports. They call it equality. Really? That's not fair. Not fair at all. Vote against Gary Peters and Joe Biden. They are too extreme for Michigan. Facebook says that this ad misses context, whatever that means. Happily, it runs ads, however, that promote the false idea that a man can be a woman. Apparently, that idea does not miss any context, like the truth. The truth is that forcing people to accept that a man can be a woman is a form of mental violence. It does injury to the mind by forcing it to reject reality and to accept a lie. That is scary, but it is the truth. And it is also scary that Facebook is now so openly censoring conservative political advertisements. It is interference in the political protest. The tech giants, Facebook, Google and Apple, are doing everything they can to ensure that the Democrats and their militias take power after the November presidential election. 
And there's a good reason for that. The Democrats will give these tech giants more power over you and the information that you're allowed to see and read. I would have liked to have covered a lot more this week. Australia is now releasing more terrorists. Netflix is promoting child pornography. JK Rowling books are being burned. Well, almost. But they are being removed from bookshops, which should be a good thing, but somehow is not. Apparently, JK Rowling is not so bad enough, so her books must go. But we are out of time. Before we go, however, it is that time for the Goose of the Week. I have to give a special mention to the Australia Institute which claims that tax cuts are now unfair to women. Seriously, apparently even tax cuts are part of the problem of the evil patriarchy now. But, alas for the Australia Institute, it's been outdone by an even bigger goose this week. Actually, a whole collective of geese. It all started with a tweet from Robin. Her Twitter bio simply states that he, for he he is, is injecting estrogen and politics, and he has more than 11,000 followers. Robin tweeted... Let's stop angrily denying trans girls' experience of period symptoms. Now, I don't know who would deny such a thing angrily. Most normal people I know would actually laugh at this idea because laughable it is. I know I do. But this set off a literal Twitter storm. One of Australia's most famous transgender activists, Bridget Clintz, responded by asking Dr. Fiona Bishop if there was any evidence that trans women could suffer period pain. And the good Dr. Bishop responded to this very strange question with a very strange answer. It was not to point out that the question was weird, but to provide an answer of, I don't know. So, the Goose of the Week award goes to the collective of all those involved in the great internal trans debate as to whether trans women, people who are actually men, can feel period pain. If you are asking that question in the first place, there's probably no chance that you will ever accept the only correct answer, which is no men don't have periods, and if you are answering, asking that question or giving any other answer other than that, you have proven your roll gold loony credentials. Give all those involved a round of applause. Not only are they this week's winners, but they are probably well on the way to becoming Goose of the Week Hall of Famers. Did you know that there is now bonus content on The Good Source for members? Uh, you can subscribe to The Good Source to gain access to all this content now. Uh, and if you do follow The Good Source on Apple, please make sure uh, or be sure to stop by and give us a review, a five-star review, completely telling the truth, of course. And there will be three months of free membership. That's right, three months of free membership for five randomly chosen people who write a review on Apple and send the screenshot of it through to me. You can copy me on Twitter at Bernard Gaynor, at my Facebook page, Bernard Gaynor as well, or through my website. Please put your reviews in, make sure they're truthful. Five of them will be randomly selected for three months of free access to Good Source News. The Bernard Gaynor Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Bernard Gaynor. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJWPC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 